You are listening to the Sunday Sermon from Crossroads Bible Church in Bellevue, Washington. To learn more about Crossroads, visit us on our website at cbcbellevue.com. You know, when I was a little boy, I was convinced I was called to be a pilot. How many little boys weren't? But this was real for me. You know, as you drive across I-90 over here on 148th Avenue, you'll see the light poles are striped red and white. Now, some of you might be starting to look for a barber shop, and that's not where I'm going here. And, and I can imagine after the service here when you're driving home, some of you husbands are going to be craning your neck looking for the, and the wives are going to be saying, look at the road, look at, but trust me, they're there, they're there, I checked. Um, you know, some of you old-timers in Bellevue here remember that there used to be an airport across the freeway from, from uh, Crossroads here, a, a land that now has offices for Boeing and Microsoft and other buildings. Those red and white striped light poles were there to alert pilots of the aerial hazards as pilots were taking off and landing at that airfield. Now, when I was six years old, my dad arranged for my brother and I to have a flight out of that airfield. The pilot was an acquaintance of his, and he had to go pick up his wife's purse over at Boeing Field in Seattle, whatever. So, hey, my brother and I jumped in the plane. We, we took off out of Bellevue Airfield, flew over to Boeing Field. It's a short flight. We landed, and the pilot obtained what he needed, his wife's purse, and we got back in the plane and took off, and he flew down south and east over to Renton and out to Tiger Mountain, and as the sun was setting into the evening sky, we returned back to Bellevue Airfield and landed. The pilot refueled the plane. He secured the plane. We got in our car and drove back to our home in, in southeast Bellevue there, or south of downtown. I was six, and the details of that flight are crystal clear in my mind. In fact, it altered my life. Those of you who know me would, would say that I would, you know that I was determined to become a pilot one day. I, I wasn't quite sure what to do with those thoughts. And when I was in college, I found a way that I could take flying lessons. And uh, I, I've spent many hours flying over Lake Sammamish and Carnation Valley out here in Western Washington, working toward my career in flying. It was great. And now, at the same time, being in college, I met this wonderful gal named Tracy. And, uh, we started dating, and she was studying to be a nurse and had applied to uh, enter the Air Force as a nurse. And I thought, this is perfect. You know, we ended up getting married, and, and I applied to be an Air Force pilot. My career was flying into the blue skies quickly. I was in a good standing. We graduated from college, and I waited for the Air Force to respond to my application. But President George H.W. Bush signed the Malta Agreement with Soviet General Secretary Mikhail Gorbachev in December of 1989. Now, while this was great, it ended the Cold War and it was bringing world peace, the Air Force suddenly didn't have a need for pilots. My flying career was quickly being dashed on the rocks. Now, being a responsible young married man, I realized I had to provide for my family, so I got a job in a technology career, and, which was in my college training, and, and we bought a house, had children, and suddenly I didn't have any time or money to fly. Over that 15-year period from when I was six till I was in my early 20s, I was convinced that God had called me to be a flyboy. Was I wrong? Was this God's calling, or was it my desire? Was all of this part of some grand design that God had for my life? You know, today we're going to take a look at the life of Abram, a man who was called by God. So turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis 12. If you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seat in front of you there. In fact, if you don't have a Bible at home, you're welcome to take that home with you. Genesis is at the very beginning of your Bible, so it's just a few pages into the beginning of your Bible there. And the text we'll be looking at is chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. 
Now, this is a central passage in the overall uh, book of Genesis, and it's also a very important passage in the foundation of the Old Testament, which contains the, the foundation of what became known as the Abrahamic Covenant. Now, as we look at Abram, we know that this is the same man that we know of as Abraham, but this is earlier in his life, before God gave him his new name. Abram surely had his own ideas for his future, just as I did, but God redirected his life, which we're going to take a look at today. Now, verse 1 of chapter 12 begins, Now, the Lord said to Abram, now that word now in most of your Bibles, except NIV, but that word now is a conjunction. It connects from something prior. So let's take, a back, take uh, just a short look back a bit. One paragraph in Genesis 11, verses 31 and 32, which says, Terah uh, took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, we learn here that Abram is the son of a man named Terah. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to dig back further, but I'm going to give a brief summary of some history, just that it'll be helpful. If we look back a little further into chapter 11, we see that uh, Abram lived 10 generations after Noah. That's a period of about 400 years, a little under 400 years' time, which is not a long time in the grand scheme of world history, though 400 years is longer than you and I will live, so it is a long time. But we're not going to focus on the relatives that were listed in that passage, other than just to note that Abram is married to Sarai, a woman who will later be known as Sarah. And she was barren, meaning she didn't have any children. She was childless. Now, this is significant later in their life, but for now we simply just note that they don't have any kids. So, Haran is another name that we see in this passage. Now, it's listed as a man's name, but it's also listed as a location. It's the place where they stopped on the way to Canaan. Today, I'm going to focus on Haran, the location, a city where Terah chose to stop. Historical research shows that the city of Ur of the Chaldeans, where they started, was known as a place of worship for the moon god Suen, also known as Sin. Just kind of interesting to note there. This was the spiritual environment where Terah led his family from. Though the biblical text does not say anything about who Terah or Abram worshipped, we have to imagine that they likely were influenced by their surrounding environment and possibly they were influenced of the worship of these gods. Now, they discontinued their journey on the way to Canaan by settling in Haran. Now, this was also a city that is known historically as being a place of worship of these false moon gods. So, were these man-made gods too attractive for Terah? The text tells us that Terah intended to go to Canaan, but he stopped short of that. He stopped in Haran. Was Canaan his original destination, his calling? You know, looking at the text of Genesis 31, it seems that Terah got distracted and was unable to complete his journey. Now, it is interesting to note that one meaning of the name Haran, the city where they stopped, is parched or barren. Now, we know, as we read, that Sarai, Abram's wife, was barren, unable to have children. But was there some barrenness in the life of Terah? Did he settle for something that was mediocre rather than seeking that which was excellent had he continued on to Canaan? 
We don't know based on the text. We're simply told that Terah died there, leaving Abram his son and Abram's wife Sarai and Abram's nephew Lot. Now the next verse, though, brings us a completely new story. So let's go back to verse 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, uh, our text for the day, which again starts, Now the Lord said to Abram, Now we know from the beginning of chapter 12 here that it was God who instigated Abram's actions. It was not Abram's own thinking. Now I want to point out that some translations, the New International Version, the King James, New King James, they actually phrase this, the Lord had said to Abram. While that word had is not in the original text, it does allude that there was something prior in Abram's life that God had said to him prior to this point. Now we're going to get back to that point in a little bit, so just hold on to that. But before we take a look at that, I want to note that um, God said to Abram, uh, excuse me, God said to Abram that, uh, whew, let's back up a moment here. Let's take a look at what God said to Abram. And, and before I ask that question, though, I want to ask, why did God call Abram? We know that it's been four centuries since God spoke to Noah. And during that time, Scripture does not record the Lord talking to anyone between Noah and Abram. We know that Noah had relationship with God throughout the building of the ark and the whole flood event. And at the beginning of that relationship, we're told in Genesis 6, verse 9, that Noah was a righteous, and man, a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Were there no other righteous men who lived on the earth between Noah and Abram? The name of each family, father in each generation, is written down, but nothing more is said about them. Had Noah's descendants, like his predecessors, turned away from God, and were they not worthy of the ink to be written on the parchment that Moses was writing in the book of Genesis here? Now, 400 years is a long time. In fact, that's the same period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is a time we know that God went silent. Was God unhappy with things after the flood? Had he stepped back for a time? Genesis 12.1 doesn't give us any explanation in the text, but whatever the case, I want to think that God saw Abram as a different man than his ancestors. Abram was more like Noah than his father Terah. Terah had appeared to follow his own desires, but just as God caught Noah's attention centuries earlier, God also caught Abram's attention. Now, if I were to ask you, when and where did God call Abram? Well, according to the text in front of us, you might say, well, God waited for Abram's father, Terah, to die before calling him. Or you might say, God called Abram when he was in Haran, where he stopped in between Ur and Canaan. Let's take a look at a more modern commentator on the situation here. The book of Acts in the New Testament was written by Dr. Luke after Jesus' death, a few millennia after Abram lived. Now, in Acts 7, Stephen was giving a defense after he had been arrested for proclaiming Jesus as Messiah after he had risen to heaven. Acts 7, uh, verses 2 and 2 through 4 reads, And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. 
I want to turn back to Genesis and look at one other passage where we read a little bit later in uh, Abram's relationship with God in Genesis chapter 15, verse 7, where it reads, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So I'll ask you again, when did God call Abram? It started when Abram was living in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram may or may not have known it, but God was directing his steps early in his life. We do know that he allowed his father Terah to derail their venture to Canaan, and they stopped in Haran. Or was it a derailment? Maybe this was all part of God's plan to begin with. We know that God is sovereign and that he can and does intervene in people's lives in unexpected ways. We see this truth in the lives of others in Scripture. For instance, Joseph was called to rule Egypt, second in command only to Pharaoh in a time of great famine. Yet before he could be a ruler in that position, he had to go through a rejection by his brothers, being sold into slavery, being unjustly imprisoned for a number of years, for a time, before he was placed into that high post. A few centuries later, Moses was raised by a royal Egyptian family in a time when the Israeli children were being killed. After living for 40 years in Egypt, he then was exiled for another 40 years after killing an Egyptian man. It was only after those 80 years that God finally called him into service, the great I am at the burning bush. Finally, in the New Testament, we know that many of the letters in the New Testament were were written by the Apostle Paul, the greatest disciple maker next to Jesus. Paul was raised as a zealous Pharisee. He was a devout Jewish man out to kill these followers of Jesus Christ. But God had to break him and redirect him by blinding him on the road to Damascus, where he was heading to kill yet more Christians. None of these men started their lives outside of God's plan. God did not have to intervene or straighten them out in order that they would serve him. They were all part of God's plan from day one, even with their sins and their failures. The same was true of Abram. His path to follow the Lord began in Ur, whether he was conscious of it or not. Now, those of us in this room today who follow Jesus Christ, it is because he took the initiative in our lives His path to follow the Lord began in Ur. Our path began to follow the Lord early in our lives from eternity past. Now, turning back to Genesis 12.1, what is it that the Lord said to Abraham? He said, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Go is an imperative here. It's a command. Keep in mind at this point that Abram did not have any scriptures that would let him know the character of God and to know the the emphatic command that God is giving him here. The first scriptures were written by Moses centuries later. But remember, it was only about four centuries since Noah, and surely Abram would have known through stories that his mother and father had told him about this God who punished the earth through a flood for their sins and who cast the people out from the Tower of Babel because they didn't obey his command to fill the earth. Now, we have no evidence that Abram was a righteous man at this point even. In fact, as I said earlier, he was more likely to have been a worshiper of the moon god, or at least influenced by that. Yet, God still chose Abram. God knew that Abram was an imperfect man, 
But God is a master of using broken lives of people for his purposes. God would receive all the glory for the work he was going to do through Abram in the future. Remember, the Lord often selects the least likely people to do his work. And I'm speaking to myself first in this crowd. So back to verse 1 here in chapter 12. What was Abram commanded to do? To go from his country, from his kindred, and his father's house. Now, while there's some overlap between these words, they are distinct and clear. We know that country is a region or territory where distinct cultures and kingdoms dwell. Kindred, or some Bibles say relatives or people, is essentially any family or descendants. And father's house is literally just that. It's the household of your father. Now, imagine living in a time when there's no phones, no internet, no FaceTime or Zoom, no trains, planes, or automobiles. And some of you are probably sitting here thinking, yeah, I can remember that. Now, most of us, though, in our lives, we had some modern technologies and conveniences to, uh, to bring us to this point. But imagine that you're, considered, you're, you're commanded to leave your homeland, your birthplace, told to leave your family and friends. Leave that which you know, that which is comfortable. Now, remember, Abram didn't have any children at this point. We just know that he had his, his wife, Sarai, and his nephew, Lot, and they had already left Ur of the Chaldeans, and they were living in a land that was not theirs, Haran, that was not even his birthplace. God may simply have been telling him, don't go back home, Abram. Don't return to your people in Ur of the Chaldeans. So where was he to go? God said, to a place I will show you. Now, he didn't have Google Earth, a map to go look up where he's going. He didn't have the ability to send out a scouting team and, and find out, is this someplace that's going to be comfortable and suitable to my needs? He didn't have a weather app to look up and find out, what kind of clothes should I pack for this trip? He was simply told to go. Now, verse 2 makes a nice pivot to the benefits of Abram obeying God's command. God had not yet made any formal covenant with Abram, which that does occur later in Genesis 15, but he does make a promise here at the beginning of verse 12, excuse me, chapter 12, verse 2, where God tells Abram, I will make you a great nation. Now, God just told him to leave a country, and now he's going to make him a great nation? What's the difference? Well, a country is more of a geographical location, whereas the nation has an idea of a political identity, an identified people. Looking into the future, we see that Israel is a nation which came into existence through Abram's grandson, Jacob. This occurred when they were a people who did not have a home. They were wandering down during the uh, famine period into Egypt, and they grew as a people there, and then they were sent out, and they wandered in the desert for 40 years. During that time, they became a nation who was known in their region and in the world. Abram certainly became the father of a great nation. Now, next in verse 2, God promises to bless Abram. Now, bless is a word that shows up five times just in our text here of three verses. It also is used 88 times in the book of Genesis and out of 310 times in the overall Old Testament. The fact that he's used it so much here in the book of Genesis, God is trying to make an impact here with what blessing is. So what does blessing entail? Now, many of us today in, in this U.S. culture and Western cultures, when we hear the word bless, it's easy for us to think, well, financial wealth. Now, while financial well-being may be a piece of blessing, it is far more than that. 
There's the idea of having success, which can include favorable interactions, maybe with your uh, business counterparts or with your neighbors or families or even your enemies. It may also include having a prosperous family heritage, having children and grandchildren, as well as health and longevity. Now, Abram's great-grandson, Joseph, is a great example of one who was a blessing at the hand of God. Let me summarize the story here briefly. I'm going to look in Genesis 39. Now, Joseph was living as a slave in Egypt and was placed over the household of Potiphar after Potiphar saw how trustworthy and successful Joseph was. We read here in Genesis 39, verses 5 and 6, from the time that he made him overseer over his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Potiphar had complete trust in his slave, Joseph, because of the blessing of God through Joseph. But the story didn't remain all rosy. You see, shortly thereafter, Potiphar's wife made a sexual advance at Joseph and accused him of this sin and had Joseph thrown in prison. Yet immediately the jailkeeper saw all that Joseph did was successful, which was a result of God's favor on Joseph yet again. In verse 23 of chapter 39, we read, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Joseph was a slave and a prisoner, yet he lived a life of blessing bestowed on him by God. Given Joseph's circumstances, he could have been bitter at God and done nothing of any value, either when he was a slave or in prison. He could have spit in God's face, so to speak, because of the circumstances in which he was living. But instead, he chose to live out a life of blessing that God had bestowed on him. How much more do we, those who live in freedom, need to live a life as a blessing to others? Do you live your life in a, in a way that you are a blessing to your employer, to your coworkers, your neighbors, your family? How about your enemies? Now next, we see that God says he will make your name great. Considering the fact that we're here today talking about Abram, and that his name shows up over 300 times in the, in the Bible, this is a promise that certainly was brought to fruition. God did make Abram's name great, even to the point that he became known as the friend of God. But the real icing on the cake in God's message to Abram in this final uh, phrase in verse 2 is, it reads in the English, so that you will be a blessing. Now, the original Hebrew text simply says, be a blessing. It's a command in the original. Notice that this has nothing to do with Abram receiving anything. It has nothing to do with him being honored or respected. This is about others, the world around him, his neighbors, the friends he will make, the people, the countries, the kings that he will encounter and engage in his future. Abram will be a representative of the God Most High to the world so that he will be a blessing to them. This is the mission of God for his people. I'm going to repeat that again. Abram will be a representative of the God Most High to the world so that he will be a blessing to them. This is the mission of God for his people. 
When you heard that today was Rejuvenate Sunday, a day for global outreach ministry partners to be here, I'm guessing many of you thought, of course we're going to preach on the Great Commission, the last words of Jesus recorded in the book of Matthew, which says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." These words were spoken by Jesus before his ascension into heaven, and they're often stated as the first missionary call. I would like to suggest that Genesis 12:2 is the first missionary call. When God called Abram to be his man, called him to be a blessing to the nations. Even Jesus used the Old Testament scriptures to explain God's plan for humankind to be followers of his. In chapter 24 of the Gospel of Luke, it records the story of Jesus after he had risen, but before he had ascended into heaven. And here Jesus met two men who were walking on the road to Emmaus. They were downtrodden because Jesus had died and they didn't know that he had risen. They didn't know that it was Jesus who joined them. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now that phrase, beginning with Moses, doesn't mean that Jesus told the story of Moses. It means that Jesus used the words written by Moses in the Old Testament out of books like Genesis. Abraham would have, excuse me, Abram would have been included in the beginning of Jesus' teaching to these people on the road to Emmaus. Now, returning to Genesis 12, looking at verse 3, God provides further details about Abram being a blessing. Verse 3 begins, I will bless those who bless you. Now, this clarifies that it's not Abram who will do the blessing. Abram is to be a blessing. And also, it continues on and says, those who bless Abram, God will bless them. And conversely, any who dishonors or curses Abram, God will curse. So Abram does not need to be the bad guy here. God will do the heavy lifting. Now, there's an interesting pattern that I noticed in verses 1 through through 3 worth highlighting as to who does what, which roles are what here. We see here that Abram is to go. Go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to a land that I will show you. Then God makes Abram a great nation and blesses Abram and makes his name great so that Abram will be a blessing to others. And then God will bless those who bless Abram and curse those who curse Abram. Abram simply has to obey and go and be a blessing. And God essentially does the rest. Now, it sounds so simple. And I'll just summarize by saying, you know, Genesis is the book of beginnings, the foundations of scriptures. It's an action-packed book that teaches us so much about the character of God and who he is and his creation. I would suggest it's worth reading regularly, at least annually, for you to continue to learn about who God is. Now, looking back at the final words of God in verse 3, it really brings it home to all of us here, where God says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, in general, I'll admit, when I'm reading the Old Testament, I oftentimes take words like this that, you know, oh, God's just talking to Israel there. He's not talking to us. Well, while oftentimes that may be true, this is actually a passage or a phrase that is spoken before Israel even existed. You see, Israel didn't come into existence until Abram's grandson, Jacob, 
became Israel or was renamed Israel. So these words were spoken before Israel existed when God told Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in doing so, he meant all families. This includes you and me living here on earth today. Now, if you're from Texas, if I've got this right, I think that's really the definition of all y'all. <laughs> now, there you go. Amen. I believe this is where an application becomes relevant as well to you and me. For Abram to be a blessing to all, you see, he's not living here in our midst today like he was back in his day, doing the same work that he was doing in his lifetime. As we said, Abram was renamed Abraham and had a son Isaac. And through God's leading, Abram would have taught Isaac how to be a blessing to others. And likewise, Isaac would have taught his son Jacob how to be a blessing to others. And Jacob had all the sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And all of this was written into the books that Moses wrote in the, in the first books of Scripture, including this book of Genesis. Now, Abram's command to be a blessing was intended to be for the whole world in all times. Now, it originated through the families of Israel and was passed down in those early generations. But the nation of Israel lost their way as God's representative to the world. Thus, the Messiah, God's son, Jesus, came into the world. And he came to clarify that message and to rightly open the door for the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, to be a blessing to the nation as God's people. It's because of this that we here today as Christians rightly carry and have been entrusted with this gospel message. We are now to entrust the same message to others, to be a blessing that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It was with great intentionality that Crossroads' new uh, vision statement is building disciples who bring Jesus to our world. If we are not building disciples, we're failing to continue to be a blessing to those around us, as Abram started in Genesis 12. Each of Crossroads' global ministry partners, those who you saw up here this morning, as well as those who couldn't make it, followed a call from the Lord to make it their full-time focus on being a blessing that others would hear and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world. I know that many of you are equally bold as you go about your work and your daily interactions with others and sharing who Christ is and being a blessing to them. You don't have to be a dedicated full-time missionary or a pastor to build disciples. This can and should be done through the daily relationships that each of you had. Now, as I begin to land this plane, I'm still a pilot at heart, let me make this practical for you. A little bit of interaction here. Are there any of you out here who are parents or grandparents? Will you raise your hands? I'm sure there's quite a few of you. Awesome. You are called to be a blessing to your children and to your grandchildren, to build disciples with them with the time that you have them in your care. Do I have any of you out here who have neighbors or family or friends that you regularly interact with? And really, this is going to be about all of you, I think, so I'll just see those hands up there. That's great. God has called you to be a blessing with them. You know, I encourage you to invite your neighbors over for maybe a soup night in your cul-de-sac or those of you who live in your apartment floor. Be intentional about your conversations, even reading or asking questions and dialoguing about the teachings of Jesus and who he is. Care for any needs that you learn about them. Take steps to build disciples with any who have ears to hear. How many of you have a favorite restaurant that you like to frequent? I know I've got a couple. Will you take the time to get to know the waiters, waitresses, or baristas in these uh, restaurants? 
learn how you can be a blessing to them. Over time, take, take steps to make disciples of those who have ears to hear. Now, I want to highlight one of our local ministry partners is called Big Table, and their focus is on teaching people and engaging with how we can be a blessing to people in the hospitality industry. Which of you regularly works out at a gym or maybe plays on a sports team or follows your kid's sports team around? I know I sure did when I, my kids were that age. Take advantage of those relationships. Build those relationships. Be a blessing to them. See how you can serve those people that you engage with. Take steps to build disciples with those who have ears to hear. I suspect that some of you are business owners or faithful employees working in a business. Use the relationships that you have at work to be a blessing to others. You know, Crossroads, in a couple of months here, is hosting a conference called Business for Transformation, where the focus is on how to effectively use your business relationships, whether here locally in your office or maybe with contractors around the world, maybe even in unreached people groups, where you can be a blessing to them and teach them who Jesus is. Look for more about this conference coming out soon. Some of you may be wondering if you're being called into full-time ministry. Maybe the Lord is drawing your heart to work in a local ministry or even to be, enter into the pastorate. Maybe to even become a missionary like, like our global outreach partners here to work around the world into an unreached people group. Don't ignore these thoughts as they may be truly of the Lord. He may be calling you to go out of your land of Ur to a place that he will show you so that you can be a blessing on behalf of the Lord. You know, when I was a little boy, I was convinced I was called to be a pilot. And as much as I longed to fly in the Air Force, God had different plans for my life. God directed me to a life that has been far richer than I could have imagined. Now, it's not only been the few years I've been on staff here, but I spent 25 years working in the business world where God was teaching me character and developing me how to be a blessing to others. I still have a long ways to grow, but I'm taking steps to continue to learn. When Abram was younger, he was a sojourner with his father, Terah, who left Ur and settled in Haran on the way to Canaan. God had other plans for Abram, though, after Terah died. God was preparing Abram through his life experiences that he learned in Ur and in Haran. Abram demonstrated his faithfulness and eventually was called to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. God has called each of us to go and be a blessing. Whether you're aware of it or not, God is working in our lives. Continue to seek him. Now go and be a blessing to the families of the earth. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the life of Abram that you uh, captured in your scriptures, that, that we could learn from him. Lord, I thank you that Abram lived a life of blessing, that he lived a life where he was faithful to you. He was later called righteous. He was called a friend of God. He set an example for us. God, will you teach each of us to be seeking you that we would live a life of blessing to others, that we would be building disciples who bring Jesus to our world. Thank you for this time of worship and learning from you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.